and the art of giving. Now, I have to admit, I had, I had to laugh when I was asked to do this sermon because I reckon God knows exactly what he's doing when sermon topics are handed out. None of this is by accident, but by his design. So I blame him. Uh, when I receive a sermon topic, usually I ask God, I always ask, what are you wanting to teach me, God? Uh, and what are you wanting to speak through me, God? Um, and it's always both. God always teaches me first um, and then speaks through me second. So when I got the date and sermon topic this time, I had to laugh because I got the corresponding sermon at, at exactly this time last year. Again, about giving. Um, I know it was the same time because it's only a couple of days after my birthday. So what's God trying to tell me about giving around the time of my birthday? Uh, I'll leave that for you to work out. So I asked God why this similar topic, two years in a row, so it's really trying to get my attention here. What are you trying to teach me and why are you using me to talk about giving? Anyone else? Could have been anyone. Why me? So what follows is the result of that discussion with God. What are you trying to teach me? What do you want to speak through me? Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is an only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, which ones, the men asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honour your father and mother, love your neighbour as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him this. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who can be saved? Who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible but with God, everything is possible. Oh, I think this is one of the most astonishing interactions that we see Jesus have with a person. One of the most astonishing interactions. Imagine if you were there, uh, hearing Jesus tell this guy, this good guy, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd followed all the commandments, he'd obeyed all the commandments, and he says to this guy, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And then you watch the man walk away, maybe forever, because he had many possessions. And the story doesn't say that Jesus ran after the guy to try to talk him around. There was no negotiation for a better deal. 
okay, how about 80%? How about 70%? How about 10%? There was no negotiation. You see, God gives us a choice, a free will, and it seems that this guy's choice was to serve money. So how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God or a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus said it. I tell you the truth, it is very hard, it's really hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Think about it for a moment, picture it, a camel, can you picture that camel? One hump, two, doesn't matter, a needle, the eye of a needle, that tiny little hole in the, that needle imagine that camel needle eye of the needle the camel through the eye of a needle can you picture that well it's actually easier for that to happen than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god jesus says so i reckon you could feel pretty bad after hearing that especially if you're rich um so why the rich why are the rich being singled out here? Because there's something very powerful about the pull that money and things can have on our lives. That's why. It's so hard to get into the kingdom of heaven because the pull of money just is so powerful. The Bible is full of all kinds of warnings about money. Jesus talked an awful lot about money, as we've already heard. 16 of his 38 parables were concerned about how to handle money and possessions. 16 of 38. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, one out of every 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. That's a lot. It takes a big chunk of the Gospels, uh, this subject of money. And Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Pretty clear. In Timothy it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Um, this love of money has such a strong hold on us. So why do you think money is such a popular topic for Jesus? It's because it actually impacts on all of us at some stage in our life, whether we have little or whether we have plenty. I think it's because financial stress is actually can impact even on our health and our relationships. How many relationships suffer because of this topic? And mostly because the love of money and things can take us away from our relationship with God. That's why Jesus talks so much about money. So it begs the question this morning, can you be rich and a Christian? Do we all have to be poor to follow Christ? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Um, and by world sense, we're all pretty rich. I know, I know of many fully devoted followers of Jesus who have plenty. Uh, and there are plenty of God's followers throughout Scripture who were well off. 
so you don't have to be poor. You can be rich. But when you hear and read stories such as the camel and the needle story, it doesn't mean that we cannot have both God and money. It just means that we can't centre our lives around money and things and also God. We cannot have a heart turned towards money and also God. It's one or the other. It would be really easy this morning to dismiss this message thinking, well, I'm not rich, so let's just move on. But I think we ought to consider our situation wherever we are and where our hearts are this morning. Because I think the love of money can take a hold of any of us. Even those who are not rich can have an unhealthy obsession about getting money and stuff. I need more stuff, I need more stuff, I need more stuff. That phone, that car, those clothes that Joel's wearing, I've got to have it. Um, I reckon if Jesus was to have the same conversation with any of us this morning, he may not have asked us to go and sell all our possessions and give to the poor. Instead, I think he would look at our hearts to see where we're at and to see what's holding us back from our relationship with God. So let's examine our hearts and consider what Jesus might actually pinpoint in your life this morning. Is it money? What's holding you back from your relationship with God? Is it the obsession to get more stuff? Is it about power? Is it about status? Is it sin in your life or unforgiveness? Is it unhealthy relationships? Is it a poor body image? Is it social media? Is it some kind of addiction? What would Jesus have, what would this conversation with you be about? I also think that this story should help us to consider how much we actually have and how can we use all that we have the way that God intended it. In the story of Moses and the burning bush, we hear God say to Moses, what is in your hand? What is in your hand, he said to Moses. Moses said, it's a staff. And then we, then we see in the story of Moses, God actually uses that staff, what is in his hands, to demonstrate his power a number of times throughout his story as Moses and God led the people out of Egypt and towards the promised land. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus was able to take just five loaves and two fish, a gift from a small boy. It was what was in his hands to de demonstrate the power and provision of God and he fed more than 5,000 people. He took what was in his hands. So I want to ask you, what is in your hand? How much do you have? What do you have that God can actually use? And I'm not just asking you, I'm not just talking about your money, but let's also consider all the things that we have, all our resources, time, energy, gifts, abilities, experience, do you have a roof over your head? Can you cook or drive or make things? Can you teach things? Are you good with kids? Or do you enjoy gardening? Do you like helping people? Do you like to visit the sick or the elderly? 
Do you have good business skills? Can you answer a phone? Can you use a computer? What do you have that God can use? God can use anything that we've got to, to bless others and to show his power and his glory. Everything we are and everything we have is from God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him. And we are essentially stewards or managers of all that he's given us. And he expects us to manage that well, everything that he's given us. Do you remember the parable of the talents that Royce spoke of last week? Each person was given something to look after while the master was gone. Two of the three people did something with the resources that they were given. They were able to double what they were given. And the master was really pleased with those guys. Uh, he praised them and he rewarded them. The other servant didn't manage well the resources that he was given, basically doing nothing. And the master wasn't pleased with him. Uh, he actually was rebuked and cast away because he did nothing with what he was given. So it's clearly not an option for us to do nothing with the resources that God's given us. Everything we have is God's and he gives it to us to look after. It's for us to enjoy and to meet our needs, but of all that we get, God asks us to give back the first 10%. Uh, we call this a tithe, which means a tenth. The tithe should be where money management starts. Uh, before anything else comes out of our income, we give God the first 10% and we live on the rest. And what I've learned, what I've experienced over the last 40 years of being Christian is that God can actually help us do more with 90% than we can do on our own with 100%. Uh, and he's proven that over and over and over again in my life. More with 90%, more than I could do with 100%. You know that our God is also called Jehovah Jireh. I used to sing that song um, when I was a boy. Uh, I'm getting encouragement to sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Yeah, anyway, that's it. That's all you get. Um, I can't help myself sometimes. Um, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Everything we are and everything we have comes from God. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah-Jireh isn't just his name or what he does. It's who God is. He is the provider. It's in his nature to give. He is a loving and gracious God, a father who loves to bless his children. He can't help himself but to give. All the resources that we have, including our money, our gifts, our talents, even our breath and our life, come from him. And just as he gave us these things, he keeps topping it up. He keeps topping it up. He first gave us these things, he keeps topping us up so that we can use those resources and gifts again and again and again for his glory. See, our supply comes from God's abundance. He's got an endless supply. And he wants to say to us this morning, there's more where that come from. There's more where that come from. Oh, God has an endless supply. When I think about all that God has given me, 
I have to keep coming back to this. I think about where I've come from and where I am now. I was once far away from God, lost in sin, depression and despair. But thanks be to God, he lifted me out of the pit and he set my feet on a rock. He forgave me, he washed me clean and he restored my soul. See, I'm not defined by my mistakes, by my sin, by my illness or by what other people think about me. I'm defined by what God thinks about me. I am a beloved child of God. And the same is and can be for you too, that you can be a beloved child of God. This is our God. God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So how do we, how should we respond to our awesome giving God? I think Paul captures this in his letter to the Romans. Excuse me. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies or give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is he saying? Give your bodies? I think it means that actually to give our whole selves. Everything that we are, everything that we have as a living offering to God. Jesus said it very simply this way, freely you have received, freely give after all that God has done for us, after all that he has given us, giving our whole life, including all our resources, to him and to bless others and for his glory just seems like the most reasonable response. After all that he has done for us in view of God's mercy. The Bible says that we're created in the image of our Father God. In Genesis we read, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And our Father is a giving God. So it makes sense that we would be made to be giving people. When we give our resources for the benefit of others, to help and serve others, it's how we were made. In his image. And when we give, we reflect the nature of God, that giving Jehovah Jireh. We show the world who God actually is and what he is like when we give. Can I tell you about my dad? I think his photo is going to be oh, on the screen. Oh, there you go. Oh, I'm used to seeing something behind me. Um, this, is my, this is my dad. Uh, he was and is my hero. Uh, it's been just over 18 months since Dad passed away and I miss him. I will never forget how much he impacted my life and the lives of so many. 
um, dad came from very humble beginnings, from a very small place called Grong Grong. It's a real place. I've seen it. Uh, don't, bl don't blink if you go there. It's in rural New South Wales. Dad was the second uh, eldest of six children. He wasn't from a Christian family, and, he's had, and his family had quite little. Um, Dad's mum passed away when he was only 13, and his older brother uh, was 14 at the time. They never got to go to high school. Instead, they had to work to support his family. Uh, while they were still teenagers, they even had to work to buy their own home to keep all the younger siblings together. But God got a hold of my dad uh, in a miraculous way when he was a young man, uh, when he'd moved to Wollongong, New South Wales, to work at the Stillworks. And he served God for the remaining 60-plus years uh, with his whole heart. So he was never asked to preach a sermon, although he, he would give you one if you got him talking. Uh, he never led singing or played an instrument of any kind. But he served and gave fully of himself in whatever way he could. And he did it humbly, simply, practically and consistently all his life. Uh, Dad mowed lawns for a lot of people. Uh, even into his 70s, he was mowing lawns for other people. Um, and I used to say uh, that uh, whippersnipping was Dad's spiritual gift. Uh, he, he would come to every church working bee, even to his late years, and he would spend all day on the whippersnipper. Uh, and he would give fully of himself all day. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, but so Dad was always helping people out, practically however he could. He gave of himself and he reflected the nature of the God that he served and it made a difference in the lives of so many. Um, the following is a story that was read at Dad's funeral. It was uh, from a friend who just had to share how my dad had made a difference in his life. And it goes as, as this. I met Les at my sister's house 31 years ago. I was a 23-year-old drug-addicted criminal and drunk at the time. I'd gotten to the point in my life where I could either go to jail for five to ten years or criminals would bury me in the hills as they had threatened or I would just overdose and die. I had truly come to the end of myself. My sister had given me a Gideon's Bible a couple of days before this and I prayed, Lord, if you're real, get me out of this. I can't do it anymore. I ended up at my sister's place about two days after that prayer, but she had some ladies living with her at the time and they were discussing where I could stay. My sister said she knew someone and she rang Les. He came around almost immediately and said, without any hesitation, you can come and stay with me and my family. We'd never actually met him. The next morning, Lois, who's my mum, uh, who I, ha I had never met and didn't know me, woke me up at 10.30am. I was hungover and she cooked me breakfast. It was a whole fish and salad, just what you want to eat when you've got a hangover, apparently. Uh, he ate it. 
Um, Les and Lois welcomed me into their home and into their family. They treated me as one of their own. They never judged me. They taught me what Christianity is. Through Les, Lois, Joel, Rod and Brad, I was discipled through Bible studies, I think twice a week. Youth group on Friday nights and church twice on Sundays. I was immersed in another world. But I learnt a lot more about what life in Christ was from Les. We would be driving somewhere and come across someone with a flat tyre. Les would pull up and change it for them. We would see someone struggling with groceries and he, he would help them. He helped anyone he came across. Les was the Good Samaritan. Les lived his faith. Because of Les, Lois and the boys, that 23-year-old lost young man who had no hope is now a Baptist pastor with a master's in counselling. I've been married for 30 years to a girl I met the day after arriving at the Recluse. I have three very beautiful, strong Christian children who are all married to strong Christians. And we have two granddaughters with another on the way. The Lord answered my prayer through a good and faithful servant. Um, I really hope that when I grow up I can be like my dad because he was a generous, giving man. He reflected the nature of his father God all his life and he made a difference. Now I suspect that I'm actually like my dad <laughs> uh, because people say that I am I'm not saying that to blow my own trumpet, but because as I live my life, I feel compelled most days to give of myself. Now, this is largely because that's how God made me, in his image. But I also, also think it was partly because my dad modelled it. Uh, modeled, it was modelled by him all his life, and it just feels like how I should live. See, my, my family doesn't have an abundance of money and we give as we should, but I have gifts and abilities and time and I've got a testimony of how God has changed my life. So I give myself, I give of myself and from what I have to serve others with a word of encouragement, by turning up and serving people, by praying and in practical ways, however I can, mowing lawns, painting, clearing rubbish, just like my dad. The last, we're going to ask the band to come up just at this moment. I'll have a drink. Um, the last few months since the coronavirus hit the world, life and work has been very different for all of us. And it really threw me at first, that change, how the world changed. But lately, I've been feeling like I'm on an, on an adventure. Uh, as you heard earlier, I work here at the Door of Hope as the manager of the conference centre. But the conference centre's been closed since March. So instead of just doing conference centre work, I've been partly redeployed to other parts of the building doing all kinds of different work, moving stuff around that, so that the building work can happen. I've done demolition work and used big sledgehammers to clear out warehouses. I've done lots and lots and lots of trips to the tip. So much manual stuff, so much 
different from what I would normally do. And for a while I thought this stuff was a waste of my talent and my gifts. But I feel like God's been teaching me through this time that none of that hard, dirty, sweaty manual work is insignificant or a waste of my time. I feel like God's been telling me that everything that I give, whether through my finances or my skills and gifts, helps create capacity for the kingdom of God. Everything that I give. God uses every bit of my offering, whatever it is, to impact the lives of others. And he does that for you too. Just like he did with that little boy's lunch when he fed the 5,000. God's given me a, uh, a glimpse of a bigger picture in all of this work. What I saw was that my contributions, even just clearing out an old warehouse, will lead to that space being used for all kinds of kingdom purpose for generations to come. I'm just clearing out a warehouse. But God's doing something bigger. It's a bigger story. See, people will be, re will be employed. Income will be created. The community will be served. People will come into the building. Relationships will be built. People will find Jesus. Hope will be found. And lives will be changed for all eternity for generations to come. I once heard this quote from Robert Shuler. He said, anyone can count the seeds in an apple but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. See, we just see a small seed, but in that one seed is the potential for another tree full of apples, all with seeds in them, that in turn could then produce lots of other trees, all with apples, and so on and so on and so on. And God actually sees them all way into the future. See, we just see our small contribution but that monetary gift, that word of encouragement, that person that you served, that roof that was replaced, that new child care centre that was built, each gift that we give, God uses and blesses so that hundreds and thousands of lives will be changed, not just in our city, but all over the world because of what's happening here. And not just for now, but for generations to come. So God's calling us this morning to join in his divine adventure, to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world. That's what he's calling us to. And we don't have to be rich. We don't have to be experts at anything. God just expects us to use the resources that we have, what's in our hands. We're not meant to be reservoirs of all his goodness and keep it to ourselves. We're meant to be funnels that pour out his goodness wherever we go. You know, God could do it all himself. He, could, he really could. He could do quite easily send manna again or quails or even Big Macs if he wanted. But he chooses instead to use us as his earthly agents to show his glory and grace, to spread his love, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So God is inviting you He's inviting us to join in this wonderful divine adventure this morning. There's so much to do. There's so many lives to reach. There's a world out there who needs what we have. We've got hope. We've got salvation. We've got Jesus.
and he's resourced, resourced all of us to play a part. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just thank you that you've given us everything. Um, and uh, we're just grateful that uh, we can be your children and that we can be a part of this divine adventure. How awesome that privilege is. Uh, Lord, show us how that we can use our resources, how we can give, how we can serve, how we can make a difference. Uh, Lord, bless this church, bless these people. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would lead them uh, in your ways, uh, that we might bring glory to you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.